Hello guys and welcome back to the Genius Pod podcast with Naeem. Today, I have a very good friend of mine as my guest for this episode. He has represented Trinidad and Tobago at countless international events as well as major games such as the Pan Am and Commonwealth Games. In this episode, we will get detailed insight through his history with the sport of badminton and how the process has been thus far as a professional athlete and coach. Now, without further ado, I would like to introduce Nicholas Ponkowski. Hello, Nicholas, and welcome to the Junior Sport Podcast with Naeem. Hi, Naeem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for appearing on the podcast. I mean, it's really good to get in touch with you after so long. We haven't seen each other in a long, long time. I think our last tour was at the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games. Is that right? I believe that's true. Yeah, we did Gold Coast. But before that, we were lucky. We got to play Carabaco together and a few other tournaments too. Yeah, that's exactly right. I remember Carabaco, was it in... Uh, were you with us in Aruba? Yeah, we played Aruba together. And then, yeah. And we played a few nationals together <laughs> against each other a few times. Oh, yeah, that's been funny. Yeah. <laughs> Now, Nick, um, I want to begin today by asking you a question that's troubling us all around the world, and it's dealing with Corona. Mm. And what I would like to ask you is, how has the COVID-19 situation been in Canada for you, and how have you been dealing with it? Well, I mean, Corona and COVID, it started last year, and it's funny because I actually played a tournament in January in the States, came back. And then everything just shut down. All badminton was closed. Restaurants were closed. Like everything was closed for about three months here. Unfortunately, that was winter. So things were tough. But, you know, once spring started coming around, it was warm outside. I was able to go out. Uh, We started playing tennis, actually. And me being me, I definitely used the tennis courts to train badminton. I did a ton of footwork. (laughs) I even found a pickleball court on the tennis court, which is essentially badminton lines and I had one of my friends uh, feed me so I did like defensive drills I was able to quote unquote hit some shuttles for majority of summer or for majority of the lockdown sorry and then once summer hits things opened back up again and it was open from June to December pretty much training was in full swing coaching was in full swing we were just back to normal and once again in December we had a lockdown again for seven weeks which we just came out of Monday passed last week and now we're training again coaching again it's very restricted though it's just private lessons and group lessons if you're under 18 but that's just in Calgary across Canada things have been similar some provinces have it worse some have it better BC they have not been fully shut down Uh, I think Toronto so Ontario and Quebec has been under lockdown for a while now they even have a curfew Nick, from what I hear is that you've adapted quite well to the situation because, I mean, most of us couldn't train outside. Um, A lot of people had access, had no access to anything, no gym, no no court uh, outside, like like you, for instance, with the tennis court and the pickleball court. I, I, I guess it's quite lucky and fortunate at the same time to be able to do something still. It. It was super lucky. And I mean, like I got a home gym in about June. So I got a squat rack, barbell, like 400, almost 400 pounds of weights, a bench. So I was like pretty fortunate there. I haven't actually 
had to go back to the gym. So training for me really hasn't been interrupted. But like, what about you in Denmark? Have you been able to weight train or on court train or? I uh, know in well, yes, I know in the beginning of the lockdown, we were completely shut down, no gym, no training, nothing for around maybe two and a half, three months. And um, in August, we began again playing badminton at the end of July, beginning of August. And um, we had a, a shutdown uh, late November or early December. And we haven't opened back up yet. We're hoping that on in March we can open things again slowly, but that's yet to be determined. Uh, we're just playing it by air, basically. Oh, wow. Have national members been able to train or it's everybody is locked down? No, I think the national team in Copenhagen can train. So professional sports are allowed to play like the Liga for handball and badminton and football, but yeah. nothing lower than that. Mm. Nick, I want to ask you today a lot about yourself and really hear your story. And I'm curious as well, because I don't know so much about your first few years with the sport. So mm. I'd like to ask you, how did it all begin? When, where, how and why? Well, I started badminton really late. I started in 2006. I picked up a racket. End of 2005, beginning 2006. So I was about 17 years old. That would be grade 12 here. And it was just some friends introduced me. They just said, hey, come out and play. And knowing me, I was like, oh, what's this sport? Let's try it out. I mean, I'd done it in gym class before, here and there. But I'd never actively gone out and pursued it. Before that, I used to run 5K competitively. Um, my goals were to go to the Olympics for that, but I was uh, I was fast, but not fast enough. So once I started playing badminton, I just fell in love with it, tried out for my school team. Here in Alberta, they have a high school badminton, which is split up into different categories, and you have, it's called divisionals, and then cities, and then provincials, and there's this thing called A-level, which is for national level, club players, all that. So the coach from my school stuck me in there. I had no idea what any of this was at the time. So I was just happy to go. And I remember I ended up playing number one and number two in Canada, which was uh, quite the experience. So I got rocked there, but I ended up coming third place. And through that, I got invited to train with the elite program in Calgary. We used to train three days a week, met lots of cool people. And we used to train at a place called Mount Royal College, which is, well, one of the many post-secondary schools here. So they had a badminton team. And we also shared half the gym with them on Tuesday and Thursday nights when they had practice. So the coach of the team, he was, you know, always talking to our coach and being like, hey, do you have any players graduating, this and that? And he said, I was. He took me over, played against some of the players. And he's like, hey, like, why don't you uh, consider coming to Mount Royal? You could get a scholarship for badminton. So that's pretty much what I did. I played a bunch of junior nationals. I well, I got one year of juniors proper, and then here we have U23. So that's still, quote-unquote, juniors. So I played that, got quarterfinals and doubles in 2007 in St. Eustache. And after that, pretty much my mom just said, hey, can you go anywhere with this? And at the time, I mean, I was ranked high in Alberta, decent in Canada, but I really had no idea. Then she said, well, what about Trinidad? And once again, I... Didn't know anything about badminton in the world or down there. I'd watched the tournaments, but didn't know the workings. So she called my aunt who lives there. My aunt made a bunch of phone calls. She found a guy named Nelsie Paul and uh, the Cree Stars Badminton Club <laughs> in Shogunas. 
he said, you know, like, come on down, just let's see what you got. So I flew down in 2008, played a bunch of players, and Hennel pretty much said, yo, go get your passport. We're going to travel together. And I remember that year we played uh, Puerto Rico International and Suriname International. So my first two tournaments. Yeah. Well, I think we're both quite familiar with Anil Sipo. <laughs> oh, yes. He is a good friend and good role model, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm really happy that I met him so early on in my uh, my career, if you want to say. Now, Nick, uh, very detailed, and it seems like you have a lot of experience in Canada. And with all this experience that you have there so far, how have you been giving back? You know, are you, have you been coaching or have you been, what have you been doing to give back to the people? Or to, or to the kids? Well, when I started playing, my coach <laughs> told me, hey, I need help. So he got me to help him coach. Once again, I was like, I I just started. And he said, oh, like, you're just going to be throwing shuttles. It's okay. And then eventually he said, like, go get your certification. I got it. And I just, I fell in love with it. I, since that was about 2006, I started helping him. 2007, I was like coaching, coaching. And then probably 2010, 10-ish I want to say I was like coaching alone running my own programs and I've been doing that ever since and I love it just helping kids adults everybody of all levels so that's how I uh, give back and then there's there's always kids I coach too and they always ask like oh Nick can we play a game like I want to I want to see how I'm doing and if anybody asks me to play a game I am always down for it I always want to help them and see them improve because players did that for me and I feel like it helped me so much so I want to do that to others yeah i can relate because i i guess we have similar background to developing with the sport because you always want to learn more and find out more from others who have a lot more experience exactly and like what about you because you're coaching over in denmark aren't you yeah i have uh i coach here part-time so i coach like the younger kids and some of the older ones who are attending the college um once a week and i think in the next season, I'll be coaching a bit more of the younger kids. But uh, yeah, yet to be determined with Corona going on. But let's hope for the best. Fingers crossed. So, Nick, you've played badminton in Trinidad and Tobago and in Canada. How would you compare the system in Trinidad and Tobago compared to that of Canada? <laughs> well, unfortunately, I'm going to have to say Trinidad's uh, a little bit underdeveloped compared to Canada. But once again, Canada is a huge country and there's so many provinces. And even within Canada, I've noticed drastic differences from province to province, even sometimes city to city with badminton. But uh, I do notice in Trinidad, there's not as much structure. And unfortunately, the access to facilities, the quality of facilities and kind of going into coaching, there's there's not much higher level coaching there are coaches down there which is awesome and they do have knowledge of the sport but they can only kind of go to a certain level i feel so i've definitely noticed differences like all across the board in that sense yeah of course our coaches have a role to play but i think the fact that we don't have the availability of venues is a more serious yeah role in, in our development nick uh, you've been playing full-time basically since 2008 when you first got your passport from Trinidad and Tobago, etc. Now, how often do you practice uh, in, in the gym and on court? That has changed over the years. Once again, depends on you know what I'm doing goal-wise or tournament-wise. But when I first started, 
it was pretty much just three days a week of actual training. And then I'd probably play another two days, give or take, as I started to get more serious, play more tournaments and kind of hone my goals. Uh, I started training, training on court about five days a week. I also, I also ended up going to China actually three separate times for about four to six months each time. And we used to train twice a day, six hours a day, sometimes even more. But in Calgary, middle of my career, I would do six to seven days a week, sometimes twice a day on court, like drill, drill. I would also do one weight session every day or every other day and a fitness or cardio session every day or every other day. Probably one of the biggest things that has even stayed with me till now is footwork and I used to do an hour of footwork a day when I first started I just wanted to get it down now do like 20 minutes of footwork a day just outside of practice for my own benefit and for like a fitness kind of standpoint because I am getting older so I have modified my training I don't need the six hours on court a day anymore I don't think my body can handle that so I train four days a week now like still at a very high level more quality than quantity now what about you because i know you're you made the switch from training in trinidad you trained in malaysia and now you're in denmark yeah i've been experiencing quite a lot i mean in trinidad and tobago we can't uh experience so much i mean there's only so much we can do with the sport and with training um uh, I've always wanted to do more, so any camp I could have gone to in Panama, I would go, or if I got invited to, I would attend. Malaysia was a big experience, spending six months over there, and similar to your training in China, where it was almost six hours a day, but now in Denmark, it's definitely quality over quantity. Yes, we have some really hard days and some really hard hours, but it's not ab- as abusive as the Asian culture. Yes, I've noticed that in Asia, in Asia, it was more just training hard. You're just, it's physically demanding. So yeah, it quite is. And it's, and the discipline is, is a lot more demanding as well. Yeah. Nick, I just want to ask you regarding your coaching. The last question, <laughs> do you think coaching has helped you as a player? Definitely. Um, especially when I first started, it helped me just because I was hitting more shuttles. And like I said, I started late, so I missed out on all those junior years of hitting, you know, tens of thousands of shots. And even to this day right now, it definitely still helps me because once again, regardless of the level that I'm coaching, I'm still feeding and I'm always feeding, whether that be a multi-shuttle or a single shuttle. For the multi-shuttle, I got to put that shuttle in the same spot every time. And that directly translates into a game or practice, I feel, because I I have that confidence and that quality in my skill to uh, put the shuttle there. And then with the higher level kids, so like my high performance kids, provincial kids, I have to be able to, you know, make sure the quality of my shot is good, which that directly affects my like skill level and everything. Once again, going into the higher level training, I feel like it helps me mentally as well, because I can kind of see the little things that are wrong with the kids and be like, Oh, you know, oh, his shoulder dropped there. He can't hit this shot anymore. And if I'm playing a game and I see my opponent, oh, hey, this this thing happened in his form. I know he can't hit that shot over there. All right. So it kind of allows me to pick out the things. And once again, it just lets me pick them out faster so I can see them instantly and I can be like, oh, I know how to play this person now. Oh, this is their weakness. 
So I feel like it's definitely helped me. And I'll also use a training racket to feed. Just heavy racket training is great in general. And hey, if I'm coaching, you know, three, four, six, eight hours a day, that's just extra work. So yeah. have you noticed a difference in your game? Um, yes and no, because, <laughs> okay. <laughs> feeding wise, we don't do so much of the feeding here ourselves. Mostly the players do it and whoever's coaching you know, they walk around, make sure everything is going well, take notes, uh, talk to players, get their opinion. We feed sometimes, but most of the time we feed for ourselves as if it's like, I mean, if it's like a technical training or if we're just doing individual training. So if I'm working with a partner, that's the only time we actually really focus on feeding ourselves. Uh, if I'm coaching, not so much really working on feeding but yes, we do use a heavy racket. Of course, I can feel a difference with that. Regarding my game, yeah, I can see a few details. So I can, I know now that I'm a much more visual learner. So I can see things and pick them out and work on the details a bit more. So for example, I would always like record my matches or training sessions and I could look back and see what's, what am I doing wrong or what can I do different. Nice. That is also very, very good to do. Yeah, analysis is key, I think. What do you think about analysis, Nick? I think it's useful. I think it's helpful. Uh, I wish I did it earlier. So, I mean, like when I started, not many people were directly doing it. You'd see the like odd guy recording a game. You'd be like, oh, I wonder what he's doing. But uh, I started to use it more and more as I progressed. I would always record my training sessions, though, when I started, just because, same thing, I'm like a visual person. And if I can see what I'm doing wrong, it's so easy for me to fix it because I just I make that connect. I'm like, oh, I see what I did wrong. Like my hand was in the wrong position. Oh, easy. Whereas if somebody's just telling me, I mean, I can visualize it, but mm, it's not the same. For matches, though, yeah, it's very useful. I feel like recording myself playing, I can definitely see things that you wouldn't normally see or pick up as quickly in game. So I do do highly recommend it. It gets tough when you travel alone, but mm, there's ways around it. Yeah, it's kind of annoying when you're alone and you have to find a place to put your camera and make sure it's safe. And Yeah, exactly. I know the story. <laughs> Nick, you, you told me that you were training in China for some time, and I can see here that you were also training under Kim Dong-moon. Now, was this in Korea or was it in Canada? Uh, Kim Dong-moon came to Canada. I was only able to train with him for a little bit, so I took a few private lessons with him. My main coach is Artie Warnata, who's a Olympic silver medalist, former world number one, but Kim has some Olympic medals as well. And uh, it was a crazy experience. Kim is, huh, Kim is very, very skilled as a player, very technical. So his sessions would be more so like about the technique and just like, oh, hey, you know, you want to put your finger here. You want to try this. But learned a lot from him. Whether I can do it is another story, but it was cool. Nice. Uh, it sounds like my, my experience in Malaysia when I was also training with uh, former world number one, Razan Hashim. Some things they show you, but it's just not meant to be sometimes. <laughs> it's true, and they so easy for them to do, but uh, to replicate it is very hard. Yeah, easier said yep. than done. Nick, I would like to change topics to uh, talking a bit more about your goals, short-term and long-term. Okay. So first question I want to ask is, what have been some of your goals that you've achieved so far? And do you have any goals for the future, major goals? <clears throat> well, let's see. When I first started playing, my goal was simply 
let's see how good I can get and let's see how far I can go with this sport. I mean, I always watched Linda and Peter Gade, Tofik, Lee Chong, we'd be like, oh my gosh, it'd be so cool to play like them one day. Olympics, that'd be the dream and like super series. But when I first started out, I guess I was more realistic with it and like, hey, I just started this sport. Like, let's see what I can do. So they have, or well, back then, because I know they've changed the system a little bit, but they used to have future series being the lowest, then international series, international challenge, Grand Prix, Grand Prix gold, super series, super series premiere. And then it was like, you know, team tournaments, world championships. So my goal when I started was I want to play every level of tournaments. Started with the bottom ones, started making my way up. And as I got better and better and I started getting, you know, a higher world ranking, I started getting good results. Then I started to change my goals and I started to say, hey, I'm actually getting kind of decent. Maybe I should at least try for the Olympics. I mean, I have no clue if I'm even going to make it. I know the skill of those guys is ridiculous, but whatever. Like, let's give it a shot. So that was kind of the longer term goal. I kind of thought of that maybe, you know, 2010-ish. So 2012, a goal was let's quote unquote half-ass an Olympic run just to kind of see what it would be like and like what I need to know going into the next one. Um, come 2013, 2014, that's when I started to, you know, up myself. And that was the goal, 2016, try to qualify. Unfortunately, did not make it, which no regrets on that. But when that happened, my goals shifted. And I said, okay, world championships and super series. That's my next goal. I'm high enough ranking. I want to do it. And then after that, well, unfortunately, some burnout happened from all that traveling. That's another topic. But 2019, I took off and I did still train full time pretty much. I just wasn't competing and it was more for a mental break. And then my goals shifted. I realized, okay, well, you know, there's there's some longevity in the sport for me. I need to reassess. I'm now a quote unquote masters, as they put it. So over 30. So my goals now are... (laughs) kind of some of the master's stuff there's world master's championships which is every two years starts at 35 so i gotta wait a bit and there's world master's games which is every four years and it's it's pretty much the olympics for old people so that'd be cool to do i still want to compete though i'm still going to play bwf tournaments uh commonwealth games 2022 is another big goal i was fortunate enough to attend 2015 pan am games and we both attended the 2018 commonwealth games those were all mine that's right so yeah, so I kind of do have those longer-term goals and kind of short-term goals, no? Now, since we're talking about World Masters, can you tell me your exact age, Nicholas? <laughs> I'm unaware. I am 32 this year, Naeem. How old are you again? I'm oh, gosh, Nick. there is a huge gap between us, Naeem. <laughs> yeah, That's oh, well. okay. Now, Nick, um, I know you had an appearance at the world championships was it yes in glasgow 2017 and i know for sure that you had a really really hard time with the men's singles qualification draw that i did that i did yeah you want to (laughs) tell me about that yes i can so it all started 20 about 2016 uh a little bit before that so i met my doubles partner and Surprisingly, the goal was never singles to qualify for. Uh, Matt Fogarty of the States, he approached me through some mutual friends that I had, Yuko and Dean, who are in Manhattan Beach. And he pretty much said, hey, Nick, you want to go to world championships? We can qualify in doubles. 
Matt is an older player. He's over 60. But this man has gone to Worlds, oh God, I can't remember the exact number. I think 11 times, give or take. He always plays with a younger player. And oh he's gone like over the age of 40. So uh, him and his other partner, they split up. And he asked me. I said, sure, let's do this. So we started traveling together. And I would also play singles at these tournaments. And then I started getting really good results. And I just, I noticed my ranking shot up. And I said, hey, if I'm trying for doubles, like, why don't I try for singles too? So I have a, another good friend in the States, Alistair Casey of Scotland, who is really, really fun to uh, hang around with. And he's just, he's a points guy. He knows how to just look at things. So I talked to him. I have a friend in Scotland, Salim, and he loves statistics and just analyzing things. So we talked all the time and we started looking at it and it's like, hey, you could probably qualify for singles. So I started looking at the tournaments, playing all these tournaments, and uh, it came down to <laughs> came down to the wire, came down to the very end. So there's continental championships. Every region has one. And for world's qualifications, Africa's counted nowhere else had theirs count for it we didn't think anything of this we're like oh it, it should be fine i had to be ranked 150 in the world i was like pretty much there african team championships happened and individual championships and just this perfect series of events took place where this one player he won matches got some walkovers and then the team tournament happened and like he beat players and they made it far and I just remember the world rankings came out on like a Thursday night in Malaysia, which or Thursday in Malaysia, which was middle of the morning, middle of the night here. My phone blew up and uh, pretty much that player from Africa passed me by 0.1 of a point. And it was just, it was kind of heartbreaking. I laughed at it. It just, it's too comedic not to laugh at. It's like, oh my God, I missed out on qualifying by literally 0.1 of a point. But I made it for doubles, so while I was sad, I was still happy, and yeah. Yeah, I guess you were trying to kill two birds at one stone, but a little bit unfortunate. <laughs> Pretty much. Can't get greedy. Yeah, yeah <laughs> well, I mean, it's never too late, uh, It's true. I could always make another, uh, another run for Worlds, so. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Nick, with all this experience that you have, which tournament would you say it has been the most memorable so far Ooh, there's a few um unfortunately i can't pick just one so you're gonna get a few on this but uh tahiti okay. international challenge i believe it was 2013 that's probably one of my favorites i mean first off it's tahiti it's beautiful but uh it was one of the first tournaments that i did really good at i made quarterfinals it was an international challenge which is not a low level, it's not a crazy high level, but you know, I won prize money, the atmosphere was great, so that's like one of my favorites, mostly because of how it went down. Um, some other ones, like Worlds was amazing, that was just such a cool experience, see all those guys, and I want to say a lot of the Asian tournaments, because they're set up so well, and they have these like welcome dinners, they're just really cool, so I'd pick the China Super Series premiere. Is probably hands down my favorite and my just greatest memory because it's the highest level tournament aside from Worlds and like Commonwealth that I played. And I got to play on show court at like a super series premiere. That's just amazing. So, yeah. What about the Macau Open? Macau was really cool. That? that was really early in my 
badminton career. So I got into the main draw of that and it was really well run. I had heard a lot about Macau. It was always after the China and Hong Kong Super Series. So like a lot of those players would kind of still play it. I remember seeing Kenichi Tago there, actually. That was really cool. Um, but they had an amazing welcome dinner. They had a full, I think it was a three or four course meal. They had entertainment. Oh, what was that band? It was called, uh, oh gosh, it was a famous Korean band. They had them come in and play. And it was at the MGM Grand in Macau. So it was super, super cool. Ooh, sounds What's quite your... nice i haven't been to what was any... your favorite tournament that Sorry? you played or like the greatest uh, experience you've had i think it has to okay. be the commonwealth games yeah it's been the biggest thus far and playing in a, such a big arena i mean great lights great atmosphere around such great players it was truly something else and to be there uh, with people that you're aware of that and that you know. Like, example, I was with you. We shared a room. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. I had a doubles partner. We can help each other out with training and with coaching. And the fact that we were part of Team TTO really meant a lot because it felt like it didn't feel like we were alone at all. You know, normally if we go on tour, even if it's you and I, we still have to do everything ourselves, but everything was taken care of. It's true. <laughs> it's nice to not have to play the role of player, coach, team manager, everything. So... Yeah, and everything was taken care of so well by the staff there, so props to them. And Nick, you've played many tournaments in many different continents, and I would like to find out from you, how do you deal with nerves and emotions in matches? That's a good question, and I feel like no matter how good you are, they still affect you. Even if you're number one in the world, you can still see those guys you know, it still shows on them. Um, for me personally, once again, I started late, so I didn't have that benefit of going through juniors and dealing with losses. I see a lot of the juniors, how emotional they can get when they lose. But I've always been in sport since I was very young. And like I said, I was a competitive runner for so long. So I feel like that definitely strengthened my mental. Once again, you're out there alone, you're running. It, <laughs> it sucks if it's hot out and like everything hurts, but you you push through it. You have that perseverance. So mentally, I feel I'm very, very strong from that. It it takes a lot mentally to just knock me down. No matter what the score is, no matter how tired I am, I just keep going. I'm like the Terminator there. But uh, with nerves, nerves, nerves are different. You can you can put them on yourself, so you can put a lot of pressure on yourself. And I feel that's where most of my nerves come from. A lot of the time, it's kind of oh, I want to get this result from a tournament. And instantly that's nerves. But once I just kind of take a step back, take that like third third person perspective, be like, hey, Nick, calm down. This, this doesn't matter. You know, just relax. It's okay. Enjoy the game. Take your time. Doesn't matter what the score is. I mean, of course I'm trying to win. Always trying to win. But I have to remember like, hey, you're here to enjoy the game too. Doesn't matter who you're playing against. Just stay calm stay focused, take it one point at a time. And that's something that other players have told me. Other players have definitely talked to me and been like, hey, this is how I deal with nerves. And I've taken bits and pieces from a lot of different sources, I could say. I've also done, we all done sports psych. We've had the guy come in and talk to us, you know, visualization. I do try to use that. 
before a game, I'll try and get into the zone, whether it be with sometimes music or just, you know, a little bit of stretching and just focusing my thoughts. What about you? Oh, nerves. I, I've had a hard time in many different scenarios where at the interval, I could mm. see my arm shaking and I'm, I'm focused on what I'm doing, but it's so bad that I can just see my arm shaking or I can feel <laughs> that my grip is so stiff on the racket. Um, in most cases, when I'm aware of it, I try to go back to my breathing and really control how I breathe. And this helps me become more aware of what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and how I should do it. So I have a better approach of the next of what I want to do for the next point. So before I serve, I just want to take a nice deep breath and relax. Uh, not relax <laughs> to the point where I fall asleep, but relax to, to the state where I am. I'm, my body is calm, but still fast and explosive. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how do I say this, but I'm, I'm just calm in a way where I'm not stressing myself out and that I'm, I'm not like gripping my racket too tight where I'm making mistakes or just putting pressure on myself. Definitely. Like, it's funny that you mentioned uh, arm shaking. I know I've had it happen a few times in a tournament where I'd go and my arm would be shaking and I'd just look at it and be like, wait, what? And I laugh at it and I feel through that. I'm just like, oh, I'm aware of this. Like, whatever, that's that's fine. And I notice a lot of times too, like if I make a mistake, forced error, unforced error, I'll, I'll laugh it off. I'll have a smile on my face. And a lot of players look at me like, wait, what? Why? Are, you made a mistake. Why are you smiling? I'm like, well, it, it doesn't get me down. I don't go into that spiral. And it just, it's out of my mind. I'm not focused on it anymore and I can move on. So it's like another way I deal with it. Yeah, I think I can recall in our first match together, you had a couple laughs. I think in the first set, I won the first set, and you had a couple smiles <laughs> like, ah, whatever. And then you came back yep. and got me. Yeah, you surprised sets. me. I was like, oh, dang, hitting good shots. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But definitely playing in the Danish league, uh, in the league here and in the divisions here have helped me a lot because mm -hmm. we're playing so much more and so much more often and against different people in different environments. So I've learned to deal with nerves. Sometimes it's mm. really, really bad still. But again, it's just about being able to go back to my breathing and control yeah. myself. Nick, what, what, what can you recommend to other badminton players and athletes to do when they are nervous or faced with pressure? Like sometimes you think, you know, you have to win a match or... Okay, let's say in my case... When we're playing here, the team matches, we're playing out of 13 matches, and sometimes it's 6-6, so you have to win the last one. You know, what do you think about that kind of pressure? How would you face it, and how would you try I, to counteract it? I always try and build pressure into my training sessions now. Um, once again, whether that helps in like that specific situation when it's 6-6, I feel like depending on the player, and it's unfortunately so individual. So like one player will react in a certain way, the other one, it might not help them at all, but... I do put that into training, whether it be sometimes the kids I coach in the high performance, they'll always ask me to play games. I'll be like, okay. So sometimes I'll, I'll make the score, I don't know, 16 points for them and I have to win or I'll be leading. Okay, fine. I'll let them come back. So say I'm up 15, three or four, all of a sudden it's 15 all. Oh no. All of a sudden they get ahead to 19. It's like, okay, I'm down. I need to come back. I need to make sure I stay calm relaxed, focus on my shots. And I feel that has definitely been something that helps. 
once again, that's hard to do against players who are better than you. But when you kind of get that against players who are, you know, a little bit lower, same level, I feel like you you start to build something in yourself and you start to build that confidence, that reassurance. And it just naturally, it's always there. It's almost like a subconscious thing. You you realize or you revert to it. You're like, oh, like I've been in this situation before. Okay, okay, let me just, let me find this. Let me focus on it. Um, Meditation is always a good thing. You know, visualization, that's really, really key. And just talk to, talk to lots of players, see how they also deal with it and try things out. That's the biggest thing. You have to find what works for yourself. What works for me definitely might not work for you, but it might work for somebody else or somebody else could take like a little piece of it and then they could make it their own. So, yeah. You mentioned uh, meditation. Uh, there are so many different forms of meditation and what people do. You mind telling us? Um, what you I do, do more meditation? like a visualization kind of meditation. So I'll, you know, I'll visualize myself hitting the shots. I'll visualize myself moving and being in certain situations. So just kind of clearing my mind and being in like an ideal state of badminton, be like, I know how to hit this. Okay, I can see myself hitting this drop. I can see myself hitting those. And I do that before a game just so I kind of like mentally I'm like, okay, yeah, I know how to hit these shots. I'm good. We got this. So, yeah. Super, Nick. Um, I would like to now move on to talking a bit about development. And when I say development, I'm talking about let's uh, bringing up badminton in Trinidad and Tobago. Now, you have quite a decent history with the sport in terms of training, competition, and coaching. Now, do you think that you can use this expertise and experience to help develop badminton in Trinidad and Tobago? And if you choose to, how would you approach I would love to. I've always wanted to go down there and run like a week long camp or something and just like have all the players attend. Um, Because I've coached for so long here and like so many different levels, so many different programs and summer camps, winter camps, privates, etc. I feel like it'd be really easy kind of to develop a program for down there, um, regardless of the level, whether it's for people just starting, you know, club players or even like the national team down there. I would honestly be excited to go work with everybody on the national team down there run a solid practice for them excuse me and everything so that is something i would like to do covid has you know made that a little tough now with travel restrictions but hopefully we could uh, set something up in the future and unfortunately i know it comes down to venue availability and all the other things but yeah It's funny you mention week-long camp because when I was supposed to go home last year in March, I had a, I had a camp planned out really, really well and was about to execute. The only thing I was missing was a lot <laughs> of shuttles, new shuttles, because yeah. <laughs> I had some venues in place. But um, yeah, I, I really wanted to help and give back at that point in time too. And I still want to as well because simply because it's where I'm from and I know that there are players there who want to do so many great things with the sport. Maybe not worldwide, but just in the Caribbean or just in the country, just to achieve something great. And I would be so happy to help them all. But at this point, <laughs> well, not much the idea do. is there. And I think that's what matters the most. Yeah, maybe it's best if we do it together or something, because I think with, with our experience together, it could be so much more beneficial for both of us coming from different continents right now and also sharing a the knowledge. They might be so grateful for it. And they could learn so much Definitely. from both of us. Okay, and if there's together. a lot of people, 
two people definitely helps a lot. So that'd be really good. <clears throat> exactly. Nick, I would like to close off this podcast episode by asking you some yeah. rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Okay, so the first question I want to ask you is who is your favorite cartoon <laughs> character? That would be a, a guy named Sterling Archer from the TV show Archer and I don't know he's like an international spy. He's just the the humor really gets me. So I just like him. He's witty and funny. Okay, fair enough. Question number two, what is the strangest Ooh, thing you have ever Definitely eaten? traveled a lot. Uh, I've had the deep fried bugs. I've had the chocolate covered bugs, caramel bugs, snail, frog, snake, various birds. I've probably had some rodents. Um, <laughs> oh, you get the answer. Never asked the weirdest question. thing, it's probably called prairie oysters. And I had that here in Calgary. And it's, it's pretty much like deep fried bulls balls. It tastes like chicken, but it's weird when you know what it is. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of awkward. What about the kangaroo steak? Not we the had weirdest in, uh, thing. We had, uh, we had kangaroo, we had emu, and crocodile. But uh, the quality wasn't good just because it's so mass-produced yeah. in the village. But, yeah. Exactly. I think we it was crocodile, crocodile burger, burger, and was then it? it was emu sausages and, like, kangaroo steak. <laughs> yeah. Okay, not the best mm. memory. Number three, what is your Ooh, biggest, biggest addiction? addiction? Working out for sure. I just love it. Um, aside from that, probably uh, maybe like gaming or food. Oh, I love food. So yeah, food, gaming, and working out. The trifecta. <laughs> okay. Okay, so those are three things, but I, I know about working out and I know how detailed you can get there, but I want to hear about <laughs> gaming and I want to hear about food. Definitely can, can cook. cook. cook everything. What okay, can you fine. cook? I can't cook good Trinidadian food like you can, but my mom taught me a little bit. Um, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I cook a lot of like pastas, okay. uh, casseroles, meats. And then for eating, oh, sushi is my favorite. And a lot of the Asian cuisine. really, really like that. Pastas. For gaming, mm, I don't know. It's just like a nice way to kind of relax after a long day of coaching and training and it's something i can do with friends too we don't have to be in the same place we could be all over the world we've been playing a lot of just call of duty lately both warzone and black ops and it's just like fun to relax and enjoy the night together we're so different because yeah. I, I was playing call of duty one day warzone i was like, <laughs> I, I suck I'm not it's funny no matter how much i suck i'll always just we, we try to get better uh, i feel like that's that's like a theme in my life so you know yeah <laughs> I just get so annoyed sometimes. Like, why is this guy oh, so geez. good? I can't even see him, and he's already killing me. Uh, number four, Nick. What have you done so far that you're most proud of? Again, sorry, it doesn't have to be about badminton. It can be anything. But Ooh, what is it that you're most one. proud of? I feel so like it's going to be badminton related. Um, I feel like it's just just the ability to represent Trinidad on a world scale. Like I've gone to all these tournaments. I've flown the flag all over the world. It's gone to some tournaments where people didn't even know where the country was. And they're like, what, where is that? So I think definitely that just like bringing Trinidad to the world. And I feel like coaching just because I love helping people. I love inspiring people and just like having all these kids enjoy the sport, learn from it and almost being like a role model to them. It's, it's kind of cool. So those are, those are some of the things that I feel really proud that I've done. It's really funny that you say that uh, people didn't know some of the countries that you went to to play, but 
sometimes when I'm traveling, and maybe if you experience this too, but when they hear Trinidad and Tobago, they're like, okay, where is that country? I have never heard of it before. And then I have to go to Google Maps and explain where I'm from. And no, it's not South America. No, it's not Africa. But yeah, it's really funny as well when we oh, see yeah, countries. Definitely. I remember when no I played in existed. Vietnam at the Vietnam International, they couldn't find a Trinidad flag. I remember they came up to me like, yo, do you have a Trinidad flag? We can hang up. I was like, oh, no. And they're like, okay, we'll find one. And they actually had to get one made and put it up. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. Oh, my God. Question number five, Nick. What advice did you get that was Probably from one of my first coaches and a few other coaches along the way. It's just, like, don't give up. Just chase your dreams. Go for it. It's something that always sticks with me. I'm I'm the type of person who just always gives it everything, and I will work so hard. I This isn't kind of advice they gave me, but this is my own, like, personal mantra. Um, it's a quote i could say it's uh where there's a will there's a way super super important to me i have a tattooed on my body actually in a chinese script down my back so it's it's just words that mean the world to me and it's how i live my life so my coaches essentially kind of said the same thing to me but yeah that's probably the best advice i've ever given don't give up keep going for it try your best (laughs) good good thanks nick i'll keep it in mind and last question for this podcast episode, Nicholas. If you could teleport anywhere in the Egypt. world, I want to see the pyramids and, and ride why? a camel. There's, there's always a tournament there. It's eluded me for years. And I think right now that's kind of the, the thing I want to do. Close second would be Maldives. Once again, it's eluded me three times so far. I was supposed to go last year. I don't know if I'm going to go this year, but I like heat. I like water. And I like seeing really cool ancient things. Well, I'm not sure if you've been to Tobago yet, but it's, we have. It's pretty similar. It's pretty similar. Been there, uh, thankfully, a few times actually. <laughs> okay, oh, I, the last time I was there was like ten years ago, I think, maybe more. Oh god, yeah, a family trip, and we never went back. You're not yeah, selling me. I don't it know to why, me. but that's, uh... that's just how. It is. Okay, that's fair. That is a fair and point. Also, I'm never home. <laughs> yeah, Nick, I would like to thank you for coming on to this podcast today and thank you for your time. Um, wish you all the best for the future. Um, hello to your family. Take care of yourself. And um, again, yeah, just mega thanks for coming here and sharing your experience and your expertise with myself and also with the world. I hope that we would get a lot of Trinidadian listeners so they can really know that we have much more talent out there than just at home and Hopefully, they come thank to you for having me and as well. Once again, say hi to your family and everybody for me. And for all the Trinidadians that do listen, if they ever want help or advice, they can always contact me. Not just Trinidadians, anybody who would like to talk, they can always uh, find me and message me and ask questions. So, yeah, I'm always, always around or try to be. And do you have a special message for the Trinidadian fans and the Trinidadian <laughs> Don't give up. And I know it can be difficult at times with, you know, lack of venue, lack of resources, but anything is possible. And as long as you're dedicated, you're, you persevere through it, like you can do it. Just focus on the little things, make the changes, work through all the hard times and you will get better and you'll see the results you want.
Nick, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Naeem. And, and uh, for sure, we we'll have keep to keep in touch. In touch. So guys, once again, thank you for listening and tuning in to the podcast. I hope you liked it and can learn a thing or two from the experience and journey of Nicholas Bonkowski. Remember, feedback is always welcome. So feel free to share with me what you think I can do better. Thank you and goodbye for now.